Welcome to the Significant Women Podcast. This is a podcast that's focused on bringing out the very best in women in all walks of life, in all seasons of life, and in all aspects of life. My name is Carol McLeod, and I hope that you will join me weekly for stirring conversation about what it means to be a woman of significance at this moment in history. You'll discover that living a life of significance has little to do with your income, your notoriety, or your accomplishments, but that it has everything to do with your heart. Well, I'll admit it, I love a good story, don't you? I hope that in every interview on the Significant Women podcast, that you'll be captured by the heart of an ordinary woman who chose to live a significant story in spite of pain and even disappointment. I know that God loves a great story, and he certainly uses the life stories of people to tell of his wonder, his goodness, and his mercy. When we allow God to write our stories, they become stories of power and even of significance. Today, I'll be having a conversation with my friend and kindred spirit, Lucinda McDowell. Have you ever respected someone's life from afar and wish that you could be friends with that person? Well, such is my relationship with Lucinda. I met her years ago at a conference and then just started following her on social media, reading her lovely books and discovering more about her life. I knew that anyone who could call Lucinda McDowell a friend would be a blessed woman indeed. And I wanted that blessing. Lucinda's story is one of waiting, of learning, of being mentored, of serving, and of determining to serve God wholeheartedly. She has gone through several fires in life and has come out as pure gold. I feel like I'm giving you a hidden treasure today as I give you the gift of friendship with Lucinda McDowell. So lean in and listen to all of the hope and wisdom that is uniquely Lucinda. Well, I am here with my sweet friend, Lucinda McDowell, today. We've actually, we've figured it out. We've met one time in person, we believe. But since then, we sort of have this fan club for each other going that I just love the way you think. I love the way you write. Your, your book has impacted me deeply. And you're one of my favorite follows on social media because... What you post is rich and deep, and, you know, we've wanted to get to know each other on a deeper level for a long time. So thank you for joining me, Lucinda. I'm honored to have you. Carol, I thank you for having me. We did meet in person, even though, you know, we don't have a big, huge memory of that, but we did, and I had hoped to track you down when you weren't too far from me when you lived in New York State, but now you're even farther away. But I just want to say at the outset, I absolutely loved Significant and Vibrant, which are the last two books of yours I've read, although the new one, which has just come out, I can't wait to read, but your writings are ones that I just underline mm-hmm. and, and, and mostly meditate over. So thank you for having me. You know, it's so much fun to meet kindred spirit sisters, isn't it? It is. It is. You know, even though our paths didn't cross when we were young women or little girls or our young wives and moms, today our paths have crossed and our experiences are kindred. Some of the things we've gone through in life, some of the choices we've made have just really knit our hearts together in sweet, sweet love. So I, I appreciate that. But Lucinda, tell us just an umbrella, just an overview of your life, who you are, what you do, what your family looks like. Just tell us a little bit about you. I would love to. I I actually am speaking to you from our little uh, Sunnyside Cottage here in New England. Mike and I have lived in New England for 30 years in Connecticut, but he's a native of the Northwest Seattle, and I'm a native of South Georgia. So only God could bring us together. I'm grateful to be married to him and uh, for 37 years, if we make it through the next few weeks. Um, So I grew up in South Georgia. I left high school early. I always felt like a real nonconformist, went straight to university at 17. It was at that point that I, although I had been saved as a child at 12, 
Jesus was my savior, but I really don't believe I made a commitment for him as my Lord of every area of my life until college. And I began to get very involved with other Christian groups. I began to study the Bible. And so I really see that turning point, the Lordship part, as a major step forward on my faith journey. And, uh, and it consisted of so many different uh, fits and starts, as many young people do. But my first job after graduation was as a writer for a magazine a little magazine called Carolina Country. And, uh, you know, everybody has to start somewhere. But I have literally spent my life as a communicator. I like to call myself a messenger of God's word. And so I've been a writer and a speaker my whole life. I went to seminary in the 1970s because I wanted to have a firm biblical foundation and theological foundation so I went up to Boston at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. It was a great experience for me. It was a real growing time as well. And my first job out of seminary was as a writer for the Lausanne Committee, which is an international meeting of a lot of evangelists from around the world. And it was held in Thailand. And so I worked for Leighton Ford and John Stott and Billy Graham. <laughs> and I was, you know, what, early 20s, but I was really learning my degree in, at Furman in university was English. Okay. My degree in, in seminary was a master's of theological studies, primarily in cross-cultural communication. Oh. I really felt I was headed for the mission field, to be honest. And I did do for about 10 years, I did do a lot of international Christian ministry. So let's pause right there for a minute. Yeah, so let's pause because I'm still young at this point in the story. But, but I got to ask you a question first. I got to ask you a question, Lucinda. So you went to seminary as a woman in the 1970s. What was <laughs> that like? Were you one of the few women there or what, what was it? Like? I was one of a handful of women there. And it was, it was a breakthrough and it was an interesting time. You know, the this was the end of the seventies, but still it was a very interesting time. And one would not attempt to do that unless you felt truly called by God. And I did feel a, his hand on me. I had Urbana 76, which was an international missions conference sponsored by InterVarsity. I had been a chaperone for a bus from Montreat College in North Carolina and so I had felt at that convention, even though I'd been out of college for, what, a couple of years, that God was calling me to say, I will go anywhere and do anything. And on uh, New Year's Eve of 1976, I made that commitment in front of 70,000 people that I would go anywhere and do anything. And who knew that the very first place he would call me would be to go to Boston, which for this Southern gal was like another world. And to get a degree from seminary. So I felt very inadequate, but I knew that I wanted, if I was going to write, speak, minister, do whatever, I wanted to do it out of a solid biblical base. And uh, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary was interdenominational. It had really good roots, and it was where God wanted me in the 70s. And I, I, it was formative in my life, but it, it was hard to be a woman in seminary then. And and there's actually a, a lovely backstory there that, that you know that I love. And I, I just eat it up every time we get to talk about it. But you lived during those years with one of my heroines of the faith. And women who listen to this podcast all the time know that there are about three of them I have. And you got oh, to I have live. about four or five. <laughs> <laughs> you got to live with Elizabeth Elliot. I while you were a student. So talk to yes, us. Yes, isn't that amazing? And, and that was a God thing. Um, I was going up there. I, I didn't know anybody in Boston or in the seminary, but through a sequence of events that only God could orchestrate, I became a lodger in Elizabeth Elliot Leach's home. And her husband, uh, Dr. Addison Leach, had died of cancer a couple of years before that. And so she had me as a student in her home to help her type her manuscripts, to clean her home, and to drive her to the Boston airport and back for all her many speaking engagements. Now, this was amazing. It was a door that God opened. Yes, I lived there for a year with her. She did become a spiritual mother to me in the sense of she taught me so much, which was interesting because we are we're total opposite personalities. 
There are many things about us that are very different, but we learned from each other. I mean, I, I yes, I'm bold enough to say that I'm sure in God's economy, she must have learned something from me. I don't know what it will be till eternity, but I believe that God does use us all in people's lives. But here I am, this 23-year-old, and she poured into me in different ways. Of course, you have to realize I was studying in seminary as well as doing all those things. But my, my typing job for her was to, on a typewriter, transcribe the journals of Jim Elliott from his water-stained journals to type up what he wrote onto a typewriter and give it to Elizabeth because she was editing and writing that particular book that year, the journals of Jim Elliott which is like this thick. So that was one of my jobs. So that was pretty heady. <laughs> so, so you got to touch Jim Elliott's journals and... I know, I know. And as a housekeeper, I had to dust the Alka spears that were in the corner of the living room. The The tribe was the what we now call the Wyodani tribe. But yeah, she had that. She showed me many slides. Uh, nobody, probably some of our listeners don't even know what slides are, but it was an early audiovisual <laughs> technique of her time in Ecuador. And so she, she poured into me in different ways, mostly in very ordinary ways of doing life. But yes, I asked her questions and I wrote in my journal some of the things she said. And, you know, when you're that young and you hear for the first time about something like suffering and the light bulbs go on, you always remember that encounter. And so there were really a few of those times that were very important. And I, I will emphasize that we are nothing like each other to tell you the truth, but God greatly used her in my life. And it was really funny at some point in that year, she actually married for the third time. And so she moved away down to Georgia to be with her third husband. And I went on to my first job out of seminary and all of that. But she actually wrote me a letter. And she also said verbally to me that I was not a very good housekeeper. <laughs> but, and, and I'm not and to this day. But that yeah, she, she was always very, we'll say the word honest, because that sounds really polite. But she's very... <laughs> outspoken. But she did look at me in the eye and say, Cindy, God has given you a gift for writing, and it is your duty to write for him. And it was like a, a mandate. It was a way I know now the way I would describe that is offering a blessing, seeing in a younger person something that God has put there and bringing it out of them and instilling what they could be. And, and, and now I am the older woman. This is my calling from now till the day I go home to glory is to do that sort of thing, not just for writers and speakers, although I do spend a lot of time encouraging them, but for, for anyone, I have asked God to show me how do I bless them? How do I look into and hear and see part of what God has, has created them to be and then speak into their life in a way that calls that out? Do you know what I mean? I do. And I love that the power of the spoken word that we have forgotten, you know, in the Hebrew culture, they believed that their words, that their tongues had as much power to determine their future as their hands did. What? I mean, you know, with their hands, they milked the goats and they put in tent pegs and they tilled the ground and took out the rocks. They believed their tongues had as much power to determine their future as their hands did. Well, I believe it too. I totally believe it. And blessing is my word for the year 2021. So I am seeking to try to um, grow in that, in that area of intentionally asking how I can bless each person I come in contact yeah. with. Now, I know that's impossible, but I'm working on it. Yeah, me too. Me too. And you know, um, Lucinda, we will never know this side of heaven what course your life would have taken had Elizabeth Elliot not said those words to you? It is your duty. You've been given a gift. It is your duty. Once again, isn't that so, Elizabeth Elliot? It not. Is. It would be nice if you did this, or you get to be a writer. It's like, it's like you set your face like a flint. You know, do it. And she did. And I will say, 
there were others in my life who also poured that sort of thing into me. But because we were talking about her, I wanted to just... Uh, I'm so glad you I did. found a postcard she wrote me just a few weeks ago. I was cleaning out my study <laughs> and I found this postcard and she's sending me from her new home as a new bride that she'd gotten a new haircut uh, to replace the old do. And she said about her life then and about my life that I was going through, she said, remember what Amy Carmichael said, all weathers nourish souls. Mm -hmm. And I read that just a few weeks ago when this room was such a mess and I was going through things. And it's so true. All weathers nourish souls. So whether you're going the weather of a storm right now, the weather of sunshine, I was out all morning running around the yard with my grandson and it was a beautiful sunshiny day, whatever, it nourishes our souls. God has things to teach us. But it was just fun finding that little postcard. Yeah, what a, what a treasure in, in, a, in a busy, cluttered room that the Lord showed you that. And so your book, Soul Strong, is probably a testament to that very comment that she made to you in a postcard written 30-some years ago, 40-some years ago. Right. Well, Soul Strong, and I'm so glad you brought it up because this is my, this is the book that came out recently, and it is the book of my heart. It is a book that God asked me to write and be really honest in and to give the seven keys to a vibrant life. And I know you love the word vibrant too, because you have a whole book called Vibrant. You and I are such kindred spirits on that. We don't want, I'm speaking to our listeners now. I doubt that you want to just survive. You want to thrive. You want to flourish. You want your life to not just be ho-hum, but vibrant. Now, I'm not talking about famous necessarily. I'm not even talking about successful. I'm talking about vibrant so that every day we live fully what God has given to us for that day. And, um, and so I did write Soul Strong, and I did give keys to a vibrant life. Yeah, I, I love it. It It's an easy read, Lucinda, but it's not a simple read, if, if you know what I'm saying. Like, so for those of my friends who say, oh, Carol, I don't really read. Well, take a chance on Soul Strong, because the way you set that book up, it's very readable, is what I mean. Well, and, let me just say it okay. has a lot of white space in it. Let yes. me tell y'all, it does. It's what we call sort of an, well, there's no real genre for it, but it's sort of an interactive life guide. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you pick it up and it looks like a prayer book. Sometimes you pick it up and it looks like maybe a Bible study or something to fill in spaces. Sometimes it, it, it just looks like different things because what I'm doing is I'm talking about an area of growth for me. I'm talking about something that I could never be here today without having embraced a certain pattern of life. And then I'm throwing it back over to you, the reader, to look at your own life. And I give you prompts. And um, so it is, it is, I think, I think it's fine that you said it's a simple read. It was a hard write. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> I've never been so vulnerable in my life as I was with this book, but hey, why not? <laughs> and we're, we're going to get to this in a minute, but I'll just reference it now. So you and I have both battled depression. We both know, you know, how hard that is, how destructive depression is. And Lucinda, I often say depression still knocks at my door, but I've learned how to respond to it. And lately in the last year, since I discovered Soul Strong, that's one of the things I do is just open Soul Strong and just read a little bit. And it nourishes me. It, I'm able to take a deep breath. I'm able to sit up straight and I'm able to remind myself of truth. You know, the fact is that depression knocks, but I answer it with truth with the eternal truth of scripture, of prayer, of worship, and that helps me combat it. So thank you on behalf of women who battle depression everywhere for giving us a practical tool in our journey. Well, thank you. It's interesting. See, once again, you've used a term that it knocks, but you don't have to open the door and let it in. Right. Um, the terminology I have used, in fact, just the other day, I was talking to a group of women in recovery, and I was saying, 
uh, one of them asked me about some of the hard things. And so I haven't really been in recovery like they were in this facility. But what I was telling them a little bit about my struggles with depression, and I was telling them that I visit there sometimes, Mm -hmm. but I don't live there anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But and then I told them about in 2001, it was a really hard struggle. I have my journals from the end of the year 2001 living here right next to New York City in Boston. It was really hard. We all knew people in our neighborhood even who had died in the World Trade Center. And so I, I was revisiting my journals from that late that fall. And it was it was hard because depression, which I actually was healed from 30 years ago, it would it would beckon me. Mm-hmm. And I would visit parts of that, but I don't live there. And the same thing happened this year. This year has been hard. I just read a statistic, Carol, that said that 41% of Americans have had either a depressive or mental health um, challenges during this past year. And I'm not at all surprised. I'm not either. The point is, you and I, in our survival of probably the hardest season, which for me was about 30 years ago, we, we got the tools, we, we understood and grew deeper with God, and, and we know what we need to do and the truth we need to cling to. And so when we have an incredible year like the past year, it may visit, it may knock, but we don't have to live there anymore. And I guess that's my uh, heart for our listeners that are going through really hard things now. Get into God's word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of the seven, one of the seven keys in my book, Soul Strong, is to overcome pain, and um, you know to face it and to move through it. And I do give steps on that. But the one that I think was the hardest to write was this. The seventh key was to share stories, and that's where I was able to finally be really honest about some of my own frailties and my gratitude for the people that stuck with me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, through it. And um, it really, the whole thing about grace just makes us want to be that for someone else, doesn't yes. it? Yeah. That we see through God's eyes, through the Holy Spirit, you know, discernment that we see beyond what they look like and what they say and what they post. And we can tell that there's that deeper struggle and, and we've, we've been there. So we just want to give them grace and all these second chances yeah. Yeah. and point them. Right, right. Okay, so let's let's go back to your story, Lucinda. Oh. <laughs> so you're this young writer, you're traveling around the world, your life is glamorous and exciting and everything. Did someone want. say Mary Tyler Moore? No, I wasn't exactly. <laughs> but you you didn't have a life mate. You were single. And like most baby boomers, and our younger listeners are going to laugh, but, you know, baby boomers, we, those of us who went to university, usually, I mean, the the norm was to then get married right out of university. And I did desire a life partner, a godly man to be my husband. I wanted to be a mama if that was in God's will. But for me, it was actually 10 years after graduating from university before God brought into my life the one who is now about to be my husband of 37 years. So I had prayed, but I'll I'll tell you the truth. I was not going to settle for less than what God wanted. And so I had a lot of hard, hard years and some lonely times and some just, you know, wondering. But one day I did have an appointment in my office. I was a missions pastor at a large church out in San Francisco. And a guy from Seattle who was with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, a minister, and I had an appointment to talk about ministry. (laughs) And I literally left the next day for a month of speaking in Africa. But he wrote me, I was in Tunisia when I got the aerogram, and some of our listeners don't know what that is either, but that was literally an airmail letter. That was how you communicated cross-country back in those days. And um, anyway, we we, uh, had a date when I got back. Of course, we lived a thousand miles apart, and we laughed because we're both so verbal that we couldn't afford the phone calls. And (laughs) so we got married. (laughs) You got married to save money. <laughs> save money. Anyway, um, so I was so grateful. But he uh, was a widow and he brought. He was a, well, here's God. I mean, just yeah. 
God is the author and finisher of our life story and of our faith, obviously, that's a quote. But I, I never dreamed that I would marry a widower with three small children. That wasn't exactly on my list. I didn't, but that's who God brought into my life. My first wife of 10 years had died three years before giving birth to their third child and um, well, in the early days of their third child's uh, life and um, of liver cancer. And, and so when I met him, he had been a widower for three years and he had three little kids. And I just laugh and say, God said, you know, Cindy, you know, you're not getting any younger. You want to be married and have kids. I'm just going to throw it all together. But uh, that's the comic sort of uh, comment because it was a wonderful gift from God, but it was also really, really hard. So when I walked down the aisle and uh, I married Mike, we did have a honeymoon. And the day we got back to Seattle, I moved from San Francisco to Seattle. All three kids got out of school for the summer and Mike went back to work. And there I was. And I didn't know anything about motherhood. I, um, it was a huge change. Everything in my life had changed except for God. I did go to court in Seattle and I adopted my first three children because I wanted to make a real lifetime commitment to them. But they were nine, seven, and four when I became their mama. And uh, the nine-year-old was born with a lot of special needs. So I had a lot to learn. And over the years, God, um, has really uh, taught me so much. I eventually, in five years later, in my older age, I really was called, I forget what that term was, but an older pregnant person because I gave birth to our fourth child. And I like to say three of my four kids are adopted, but I simply don't remember which ones. <laughs> because God God melded us together. It wasn't perfect, but, but those were some hard times. I went through a a time of God teaching me about grace. You know, I don't know about you, Carol, but I feel like grace is good news for believers. It is. I have seen so many people who have known the Lord a long time, but they haven't necessarily embraced the gift of grace that no one can earn and and that we just have to accept and live through and realize that, you know, it's a gift and we you know, and embrace that. And so I had been a POW for a lot of my Christian life. And mm. what I mean by POW is a prisoner of works. Mm. Wow. I, no one sat down and taught me not, I'm not blaming anybody. Nobody said you have to earn God's love. Nobody said that. I invented that on my own. I kept thinking if I did more for God, or if I was perfect, or if I was the best, whatever I was supposed to be, then he would love me more. So these were deep-seated insecurities, and and they did affect my spiritual life, and they certainly affected my life as a new wife and mother, trying to be everything to everyone, and I, I crashed and burned. You did. I really, it was more like I imploded because I was just trying to do so much, and that's when God um, reached down and lifted me up and taught me about grace. And I love that in the Hebrew uh, Bible, the, the words that mean grace literally mean to stoop. Mm. So that when you, we talk about maybe the queen gracing us with her presence, it means she stoops to our level. And that's what that word grace means. And of course, we know in the New Testament Greek, it means it's a gift. Right. And I had to begin from being down there on the ground in a pit <laughs> for God to stoop and lift me up. And I call it my grace tutorial, just mm -hmm. God and me. It changed my life. Mm -hmm. It changed my life. That makes so much sense to me, Lucinda, because when I give grace to somebody else in a, in a relationship, in a conversation, it makes everything easier. It, it makes everything more beautiful between us. And so I have to accept his grace for our relationship to be all that it was meant to be, right? Yes, because as long as we're trying to find our identity, our our meaning, our everything from other people, then we'll be so needy and graspy, and it'll be all about us. But if we know that we are already loved, already accepted, already called and chosen by God, not because of anything we've done, but because of grace, mm -hmm. Ephesians 2, where it says you've been saved by grace through faith, and that is of God, 
It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Once we understand that, we realize, you know what? I hope that you love this interview we do today, and I, I thank you for that. But even if you don't, I'm okay because I am responding based on how I feel God calling me to, and I'm doing my best, and I'm showing up, and I have to leave the fruit with him. That's right. That That is right. So, Lucinda, when you battled depression, was your depression hormonal? Was it based on your circumstances? Like what triggered the depression that you went through? Was I'm trying to figure this out in your late thirties, maybe. Yes. And I'll tell you exactly. It was, and what I didn't know at the time, what I didn't know at the time was that depression is not just a mind thing where will just buck up and you'll be fine. I really didn't know one Christian who had ever had depression. Dr. Archibald Hart out in California had begun to write a few things about it. But what I came to learn is that it is a combination of factors. And for me, there were a lot of physiological factors. I had some imbalance physiologically, but also what had happened is as a wife, a ministry wife, a mother of four, we had moved three times in three years. And I had two teenagers, a junior higher and a three-year-old. My three-year-old had her first birthday in one state, her second birthday in another state, and her third birthday in another state. And this was all in the context of some ministry stuff, some of it which was wonderful and some of it which was very challenging. And honestly, it just all came together. It was just a real imbalance in a lot of areas. So I needed, because of all those different factors, I needed a village <laughs> to get well. You know, I needed medical help and I need, I went for Christian counseling and I spiritually, I needed uh, inner healing from the Lord and, and physically and all of that. And, you know, that too gave me such an insight into people who struggle and how often Particularly, and I'm just going to be honest here, and this was, you know, a while back, but it possibly happens now, maybe even to some of our listeners, is people of faith, people who are Christ followers sometimes even get it wrong when they try to help you, when they try to speak to you, when they try to encourage you, when they look at what you're struggling with and they think they know why, or they think they know how they could fix it. And Going through a time where I was very weak and we had just arrived at a new pastorate. And so I wanted everyone in our large church community to see my strengths and all I had was weakness. And so it's once again coming to the end of yourself and realizing that God is there and that that through him you can be transformed. And and that that also kind of worked within that whole grace tutorial because I think the root of a lot of my struggling and even some of my, my frustration, my anger, different things that I was dealing with, I was stuffing it down and I wasn't dealing with it, you know, Mm -hmm. and yet in a way the culture, even the Christian culture back then did not always encourage transparency and authenticity. Mm -hmm. So, so good. Lucinda, so good. Thank you for sharing that. Before we rejoin Lucinda's story, I just wanted to take a minute and thank you for listening to this podcast. I know that there are many wonderful podcasts to which you could be listening, many incredible blogs that you could be reading, and other valuable streams of wisdom in which you could be splashing. And so I want you to know that I never take you, my listener and my friend, for granted. You're important to me and to this ministry. I'm always quick to tell my guests that you are not my listeners, but you are my friends. As a matter of fact, I would love to hear from you and to cultivate our friendship. If you have a prayer request or a comment, please feel free to email me at carol at carolmcleodministries.com. We try to answer every single email that comes our way. Well, I know I've talked about it before, but I have to talk about it at least one more time. 
I have a new book coming out this spring. It's a book that has long lived in the recesses of my heart, and I wondered if I would ever have the opportunity to write it. But after some pressure from my publisher, the book has been written and is now published. It's taken me 40 years of experience, of wisdom, of tears, of hopes, of dreams, of applause, of failures to write this book. And the title is The Rooms of a Mother's Heart. I think that this book, The Rooms of a Mother's Heart, is my gift to the next generation of mothers. It's a book that's rich in wisdom. It's filled to overflowing with heartfelt stories and has been branded with the joy of this wonderful calling of motherhood. You can order The Rooms of a Mother's Heart at our website, which is carolmccloudministries.com, or on Amazon or Christian Book Distributors, Target, really wherever books are sold. I've discovered a new website that I'm just loving. It's called shoptheword.com. You can buy books on shoptheword.com, but but other things too, pictures, meaningful quotes, mugs, all all type of things. Again, that's shoptheword.com. I hope that you'll consider buying The Rooms of a Mother's Heart for every mom on your Mother's Day list. And now let's rejoin my conversation with my friend and yours, Lucinda McDowell. So out of all this, this beautiful life that God has given you, not always easy, sometimes extremely hard, but every part of our journey takes us closer to his heart. Do you have a life motto? Do you, do you have a phrase that just cements who you are as a woman of God that you share with people? I do have a couple of things. Um, one of my callings at this season in life is, and I, I spent a, about five years ago, I spent a whole week just in prayer and listening to God, sensing there would be a shift in my ministry. And I came up with this little phrase that's nothing magic about it, except that it encompasses really what I am all about now. And that is helping you choose a life of serenity and strength. And, and, and helping you choose it, meaning you need to choose it, but I can help you along the way. And the serenity part is the part that's soul care, mm. that, that shows us how to have this calm and peace inside because of the Lord in us. And the strength part of it is the courage and the daring and the risk and the speaking up and showing up and shoring up that we do because God is in us and we are close to him. And so I love to help people choose a life of serenity and strength. I would like to share a life verse, though. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Yes, do it. Yeah. Well, it goes back to when I was 17 and I was a freshman at Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina. And I had never heard about life verse, but I'm all, among all these Christians for the first time and and they're talking about life verse. So I, I remember I spent one winter weekend and I was um, asking God to show me. And amazingly enough, he took me to Isaiah and it's two verses. It's Isaiah 58, 10 and 11. If you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. And you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Mm. And uh, God gave me that at 17, and it sure is important to me now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 50 years later. <laughs> Sometimes those gifts that God gives to us when we're young, we don't even realize the eternal impact they're going to have in our lives. Wow. That's why God's word is what it's all about, friend. God's word and staying close to him and spending every day in prayer and in his word. So I'm really big on all the ancient spiritual disciplines because that's what it's all about. 
I am too. You know, I was reading my Bible yesterday morning, Lucinda, and this thought came to me. I was reading a passage of scripture in James, and I was thinking, what? They read this during the 1700s. What? There, there was a woman who read this during the 1600s, and it likely ministered to her heart. The word of God is eternal. It has staying power. It has changing power. When you read the Bible, you are not reading a flat book. It's not like reading a fun Karen Kingsbury novel, as fun as that is. It's not like reading People Magazine or the New York Times. It's not even like reading one of our books. (laughs) When you read the word of God, it has transformational power in your life. So read on, read on. Amen. And keep reading because what, when I read those verses at age 17, it meant one thing to me. And today it means the same thing, but more. It has, it, it has grown. So you can, let's say you did a Bible study on James back when you were a young mama, and now you're middle-aged. You go back and read James again, friend, and you will be amazed at the new insight from the same verses because you are a different person. That's right. God has more. Yeah. I guess that's what I'd love to say. God always has more, Carol, more than we can imagine. And that's why I wrote a book about living a vibrant life. That's why you wrote a book about living a vibrant life because there is more. There is more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the word of God is part of what God uses to usher the more into our lives. It's a transformational tool that God in his goodness gave to his children across all epochs of history. And it's ours to dig into for gold. So go mining for gold. Okay, Lucinda, what other women have deeply impacted your life? Who have your role models been? Oh, well, that's, I'm glad I can answer that because in my seventh key to a vibrant life is share stories. And I literally begin that chapter by talking about four women that, that literally changed my life between the ages of, of, I think it's 14 and 24. Okay. So I'll just share those four women. But between the ages of 14 and 24, there were uh, four stories that changed my life. And um, the first one was when I read a book called Christy by Catherine Marshall. And Catherine Marshall wrote, uh, it's a novel. Mm -hmm. It's about a young girl that goes into the Appalachian Mountains and she's called by God and she, she lives her life. And for some reason, that novel just changed me at age 14. I just, it's it instilled in me daring and courage and a pioneering spirit to do things that maybe people hadn't done before. And it helped me see that God would be with me. Isn't that amazing? You, you people out there, I mean, now, of course, Christian fiction is so powerful, but back then it was just starting. And yet God used that story. He used the life of Catherine Marshall. She ended up marrying someone with children and, and wrote a book at the very end of her life called Meeting God at Every Turn. And it was about the different seasons of her life. And that ministered to me as well. But then as I got a little older, The second person that I read that influenced me was Corey Tenbone. I was a 17-year-old university freshman sitting in the the parlor of our dorm for Sunday night campus life meeting, and in walks an older woman in a house dress with braids, and I had heard we were going to have a guest speaker, and I was looking for a jot for Jesus because, of course, I was 17. And it was Corey Tim Bowman. She had just come to the U.S. to talk about her pilgrimage of surviving a Ravensbrück concentration camp and being a tramp for the Lord and uh, hiding Jews in her home. And even though when I had first looked at her and thought she was old and thought, what in the world could this woman possibly have to say to me? As she talked, she became so beautiful to me that I can literally remember sitting on the ground in my je- my bell-bottom jeans, my long straight hair, my Dr. Scholl sandals with argyle socks, and saying to myself, I want to be a godly older woman. And then a few years later, 
I read the story of Johnny, Johnny Erickson Tata. And um, I remember this all happening. She's only, she is older than I am, but it was all happening kind of in real time when she became a quadriplegic and, and her, her courage and her faith through just real tragedy just spoke to me in the part of me that said, what would I do if I were in that situation? And I want you to know, Johnny has been in a wheelchair for over 50 years, and she is still one of my number one heroes. And when I look at her and see her and read, and she just stands for me as a soul strong woman of great perseverance and faith and joy. And, you know, so she did. And then of course I did mention then as I was in my early twenties at that big InterVarsity convention in 1976, the one where I told God I would go anywhere and do anything. The speaker that touched my heart the most was probably Elizabeth Elliott. And she was standing down there on this stage. There were 17,000 people in this amphitheater. And she talked about the will of God, the glory of God's will. And I still remember to this day some of the illustrations she used, some of the verses she used. And it was about the glory of God's will. And, and I wanted to do the will of God. And she, along with some other speakers, prodded me to make that commitment. So those are just four from my 10 years of formative from 14 to 24. Um, I, I'm not going to go past that just because we don't have time, but I will say that I am um, a conglomerate of so many women and spiritual mothers that have spoken into my life. I read Amy Carmichael almost every day. She was a single missionary to India and her poetry and her writing, I've included it in most of my books. So there's so many others that I could share with you. And I'm sure I'm going to feel bad about leaving people out. But those were some of the people. So so for our listeners, Amy Carmichael, Corey Tenboom, Johnny Erickson Tada, Elizabeth Elliott, and Catherine Marshall. If you would just Google them, go to a book website and look up their books, you will not be disappointed. If you want some strength in your life, any one of those five women, any any of their writings would would give it to you. So that's from Lucinda and from Carol, <laughs> for sure. Okay, Lucinda, I cannot believe it, but we have to begin to wrap up now. Like you and I could talk for hours on end. There's always more to say because we should talk sometime about your new book that just released. And I would love to talk about motherhood with you because that is an area that obviously is is the greatest joy of my life. Let, let's do it, Lucinda. We will do it again um, in, the, in the coming months. Well, I'll ask you the questions. How's that? Perfect. <laughs> You've got a deal, sister. You've got a deal. Well, the friends who listen, I don't call them my listeners. I try to call them my friends. They love this last component of the podcast. And that's when some people would call the lightning round. I call it my favorite things because I love the sound of music. So I'm just going to go through a list and we're just going to have a little bit of fun in closing so that they get to know you as a girlfriend. But first of all, Lucinda, I'm going to ask you two questions about music, okay? What is your favorite hymn of the faith, classic hymn of the faith? Well, you may or may not know it, but I love In Heavenly Love Abiding by Anna Waring, 1850. Okay, everybody needs to look up the lyrics. Okay, okay. What's a more contemporary worship song that just hits a bullseye in your heart, that you sing it with tears rolling down your cheeks, and you can hardly sing because it just touches you in a deep way? I don't know the name of it, but it goes, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. What is the name of that? I don't know, but you that that's what it is. Oh, okay. But you yeah. know the song I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah. Everybody will know it by those lyrics, yeah. That that transports me. Me too. Oh, I love that one. Okay. What's your favorite way to rejuvenate? You know, I am an extrovert, Carol, but mm-hmm. I have become quite the contemplative over the past decade. And so I would say two ways that, that God refreshes me. Sometimes it's in silence and solitude, out taking a walk or whatever. But sometimes what I've always said in my life is that people rejuvenate me. Particularly 
I really love being around family and friends. Friends I've yet to meet. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Okay. Favorite food. I was going to say dessert, but, but I know. No, you- I'd probably say cheese. I love cheese. Do you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's the Europe coming into you. Um, favorite holiday. Oh, Christmas only because my kids, I have six young adult kids and they're also scattered, but usually one that's the farthest away comes for Christmas. Now he didn't get to this year, but you know, I like to make a holiday out of Tuesdays. I mean, I'm just all about celebration. Yeah, me too. See, that's another thing we have in common. You know, I often say, you know, the Bible does such a good job of listing the gifts that God would give to us to operate in this side of heaven. But because God is eternal, certainly there are more gifts too. And I think one of them is the gift of celebration. And I Absolutely. got it. And you okay. got it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Favorite vacation spot? Uh, by the water. Yeah. Me too. Any water. Hands down. Heals <laughs> my soul. Oh, Lucinda, what a delight it has been to have you with us this afternoon. I can't wait until that day that I get to hug your neck and... We get to just be together, but we will. We'll do a podcast on motherhood in the, in the coming months. So be watching yes. for that. But okay. Lucinda, would you pray for us before we go today? I would love to. And what I'd love to do yeah. is to offer a blessing over our, listen, our okay. friends who are listeners yes. today. Yes. And I am not a singer, but I close every presentation by singing over you because God told me to. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Sing over us. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, may his peace ever always surround you, protect you and guide you in all that you do, my prayer for you. Amen. Amen. Well, I wish you could sing over me every day, Lucinda. That was beautiful. And you are a singer. You are. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I loved it. I hope that Lucinda's story will serve to remind you that God takes all of the circumstances events and people of our lives and weaves them all into a lovely tapestry of hope and grace. You know, from now on, when I think about Lucinda McDowell, I'm going to be thinking about that word grace and how much it means to her. If you're struggling to find your place in life, I'd love to hear from you. If you want to know more about having a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'd love to hear from you. I'm not a counselor, but I am an encourager. So feel free to email me at carol at carolmcleodministries.com so I can personally encourage you in your walk of faith. My friend, if you're listening today, let me just remind you of your significance to the kingdom of God. You are not overlooked and you are not forgotten, but you are His. It is in belonging to our Creator and to our Savior that we find true and lasting significance. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of grace, something we didn't deserve, but oh, how we need it. Father, just like Lucinda had a revelation of what it means to be empowered by grace, I pray that all of my listeners today will lovingly pursue this word grace, that they would have a new understanding of the grace that you give to us as believers in Christ. And so today, Lord, I thank you for Lucinda, and I thank you for grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Significant Woman Podcast. You, my friend, are a significant woman indeed.